Oh shit, we're live. You're listening to War for Idiots, a podcast by idiots for idiots. Now that voice at the start, that's not a recording, is it? No, 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 we... we... He drags us in every out of it. every time. Yeah, yeah. Every time it does it. Consistency, man. Every time it sounds the same. It's amazing. Yeah. Seems to hate it. Whoa! I just uh, where's where's the video? Give me the live video. Oh yeah, there we are. And we have zero viewers right now. We're heroes. Zero heroes. Mine's not up yet. It's not up on mine. Hurry up. No, it's not up yet. I don't think you got it up. I don't think it's going live. This is definitely not live. I'm watching it live right now. Definitely not watching it live. You're watching it something is. else live. It's live. Are you watching like a Leonardo DiCaprio video? And you're no, doing no, no, no. It took me a little bit. Like I'm chatting, we've got three people watching us. Oh. And only two of them were us. <laughs> well, I'm not because I'm not watching it at the moment. Yeah, so there you go. So we just we just added a third of our viewers' numbers. <laughs> All right, let's get this bad boy started. We have. Play the intro music. <laughs> we've started. Let's just... Everyone who listens ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, podcast listeners from all of around the world, hello there, and welcome back to another episode of War for Idiots. It is indeed WFI Friday. Uh... WFI or is it? Oh no, that's the saying. Yeah, WFI Friday. Thank God it's WFI Friday. Sorry, man. I'm, I'm trying to multitask here. It's already it's already called War for Idiots. You don't have to continually prove how right that is. Hey, I'm, I'm saying hello to Beck and Phil. I'm I'm sorting out our oh specials. Hey, everyone knows who the real brains is behind this episode. Behind as always, as <laughs> always. does the intro. As always, we are your hosts. <laughs> My name is Rich the Sump. And I am Mick the Dotty Pole. I don't even know what the fuck that means. Yeah, I'm I guessing he's so. idiot. I just Googled olden words for idiots and they came up. <laughs> and we are indeed the idiots that you have been looking for. And today we are looking and talking about the South China Sea. Mm. Very, very interesting topic. Very uh, controversial, very contemporary, but with a long, long history as well. It is something that uh-huh. I... Very sure. Sort of knows where it is. I'm very well. It's South China, right? I'm very much looking forward to talking about this um, because it's been fascinating. It's blown my mind. Some of the stuff that I've read about um, your South mind brain. It blew my mind brain, um, and I and I am super super ready to do it. Um, but before we do, uh, let's talk about you, our dear listeners. Thank you, listeners. Oh, I've got some. I've got some sad news uh, to tell you, uh, and that is that we are at the very far tail end of season. Two. We are in episode 18. Uh, we have officially beaten the record for season one of how many episodes we've gotten out, but the well, season does end. We've only got a handful left to go, and then that will be us done for season two. So, dear listener, um, the show is about to end uh, for this season, but you can till, still help us continue to grow uh, and get ready for potentially a oh, season sorry. three. I thought you meant the show was ending tonight. <laughs> what you can do is tell a friend share us on social media comment get involved that's why we do this spread the word but don't spread covid mick hopefully we don't use that in season three when we record season three next year oh my god i hope we don't have to talk about covid in season three that would be amazing how is your non-covid life going mick cook 
Mate, I um I nearly got COVID today. <laughs> okay, do explain. I just I just uh, had a meeting with people from out of town, so oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm racking that up as a close call. Yeah, I went and got the boys' haircuts the other day. Oh, you nearly got COVID. <laughs> I almost got COVID. No, no. And people would come in and the hairdresser was just like, have you been to so-and-so town? Which had a, a one COVID case. They're like, oh, we went near there. Nah, go somewhere else. Like it was like proper strict. Yeah, I can understand, man. Because one of the, one of the hairdressers, like a barber or a hairdresser gets COVID, the business shuts down, right? That's it. That's it. That's what she was saying. She's like, we've got eight people at work here. They've got this many hours. You know, it takes one person, blah, 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 blah. So I've heard Braidwood, um, Braidwood, Braidwood Bakery got slammed for not having social distancing. I don't know. What's the Braidwood Bakery? It's a popular bakery that's oh. outside of the ACT. Um, yeah, right. Been there for okay. a while, but it's, I think, I'm pretty sure it's on the way to the coast. Um, so it's like really popular. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, apparently, like the bakery got slammed because they're not enforcing it a lot because all the all the drive-through tourists just flood in there. Like, yeah, you yeah. got to got to be strict with some of these people. It's hard. You got to be strict. It's hard, and, and and it's getting hard because it's getting long in the tooth. People are tired. People just want to go back to what life was like before. But you know, we are at the very start of this. They said we are a long way, a long way from the end, and I still think we're a long way from the end. But um, I think some people just kind of forget that sometimes Please, that. Yeah. This is this is a this is a, a marathon, certainly not a sprint. But anyway, this episode is not about COVID. It is about. I don't even like running sprints. <laughs> it's about the South China Sea. So let's get into it. And before we do, we always like to start our episode by throwing a bit of love to our good friends and sponsor of the show, Good to Go Gear G Two G. And Good to Go Gear is an Australian veteran-owned business that has been supporting its customers for well over a decade. Whether you are into military, camping, adventure, workwear, or first aid, they have a wide range that is ready to be shipped directly to you. Check out their catalog, go to www.goodgogear.com.au and get the best gear that is G2G. You will not be disappointed. This catalog is growing. There's such cool stuff on there. Um, the prices are great and it delivers straight to you. And if you're unhappy with it, the good news is they offer a 30-day 100% satisfaction guarantee and they ship both to Australia and the US of A. Likely if it's going to America, it's going through the South China Sea. More about that in a minute. Yeah. And, and it's probably going to be COVID-proof because it's coming from Australia. So what are you waiting for? Rhetorical question. Uh, or maybe not. Go and check out Good To Go Gear. That's Good To Go Gear, G2G Gear, Gear. That is truly good to go. And as you can see, as always, Mick and I are sporting our Good To Go Gear merchandise. Um, I'm wearing the brown undershirt. Uh, wicking great material. I love it. And Mick is wearing the blue long sleeve t-shirt. Great for exercising and was the catalyst of my awkward conversation with someone at work who I saw wearing one. And I started talking to him and said, Hey, good to go. And he was just like, what are you doing? who are you? I was like, Oh, right. Not everyone knows that. They well, said, mate, I was going to, I was going to wear this jogging today. Um, but right. I didn't go jogging. So. Yeah. So you just wore it. <laughs> Oh, that's a, that's that's a problem with all my sports stuff. I don't do sports, but um, yeah, I'll tell you what, it's a bloody comfortable shirt. I pretty much spend half my week wearing uh, these shirts because um, they're so easy to put on, so easy to wash. You know, you only have to wash them once a year. It's, <laughs> it's disgusting. No, no, but you know, like think about it. Like if you only wash them no. once a year, you no. can wash them with your underwear. Yep, good. 
Good. That's disgusting. Okay. Let's talk about the South China Sea. Let's look at the media. So on the Guardian, they're always always right on from the Guardian dot com uh on oh, wednesday baker in it. on wednesday an article entitled australia to step up south china sea defense cooperation with the u.s <laughs> but won't commit to patrols uh, extract from that article the two allies have also decided during high level talks in washington to set up a working group to push back at false information across the indo-pacific region warning that state-sponsored malicious disinformation and interference in democratic processes are significant and evolving threats. The article goes on. Payne and the Defence Minister, Linda Reynolds, agreed in face-to-face talks with their US counterparts, Mike Pompey and Mark Esper, to continue, quote, increased and regularised maritime cooperation, end quote, in the South China Sea and the Indian Ocean, bilaterally and in concert with other like-minded and regional partners. So very recent news from this week, as we know, the Australia Defence Minister uh, went over to America to strengthen ties and the South China Sea was certainly something that they talked about. Now, Mick, yesterday in the South China Morning Post, I asked you this question, is this a coincidence? You asked me this in the South China Post. I don't read it, it, mate. Is this a coincidence? This article reads, US-China relations, PLA bombers carry out attack exercise in the South China Sea. The article reads, Chinese bombers took part in a high-intensity exercise over the South China Sea, Beijing said on Thursday. Just two weeks after two US aircraft carrier strike groups conducted drills of their own in the disputed waters. The exercise was part of the Chinese military's regular operations to boost its combat readiness. Spokesman Ren Guohuang uh, said, said he, uh, he did not specify the exact location of the drill or say when it took place. Meanwhile, the PLA Southern Theatre Commander or Command said on Thursday that a naval fleet of three frigates, the Louis Panshu, Kuijung, and the Mizhua, took part in a drill in the South China Sea earlier this month. The increase in military maneuvers comes amid a sharp uptick in tensions between China and the United States over the strategic waterway. Mm. So this is a topic that is is hot off the press yesterday and the day before, America and Australia committing to increase their presence there. And whilst China uh, is also conducting more and more military maneuvers, a show of force, if you will. Mick, what do you know about the South China Sea? Mate, uh, and if you say it's to the South of China, we're done. We're done. Finish. Um, <laughs> I was going to say it's a body of water, South of China. Um, just those two articles you mentioned, uh, the technical support crew have chucked up the links in the uh, chat box. Um, also, they chucked up a link to the TV show The Guardian with Simon Baker in it. Just pretty good show. Um, we, we went to uh, uni with Simon Baker's little brother. We did too. I forgot about that. Yeah. I mean, I've got to go tell. I forgot about that. He told me a story when he went to the Logies with his bigger brother and he was just like, oh my God. And he met Danny Minogue. Anyway, we'll do, a, we'll do an episode on that. All right. Um, sorry. 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 So South China Sea, one, one thing that I, that I know that um, we probably, well, actually we're probably going to cover it, but one thing that um, I find fascinating about South China Sea is how bloody crowded it is. Mm. Mm. So, um, 
and you, you don't see this in a lot of the news articles when they do pictures of it. In fact, the, the articles we're talking about, or the ones that, yeah, the ones we're talking about, the photos on them don't show how crowded it is. So, so much of the world's trade goes through the South China Sea that when, when we talk about things and we'll discuss freedom of navigation operations and, 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 and the idea of contestability within, the, um, within the, that body of water, it's not as simple as just sailing around one ship or one, yeah. one fleet or I want to say the word flotilla. I don't know if it's right, but it's a good mm-hmm. word. Sailing around a flotilla um, because there are so many waterborne obstacles in the forms of merchant shipping, fishermen, um, and then other countries trying to do their freedom of navigation ops. So that's probably most of what I know. I do know the word, the term nine dash lines, pretty important. When you're talking about South yeah, China Sea. We'll definitely talk about that. Um, and that um, one, like, I'm just glad that this is going to sound really bad. I'm just glad I don't live in a nation that is small and has a normal territorial claim on parts of the South China Sea that would not be as controversial elsewhere in the globe. Because yeah, 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 yeah. We, we have, we have you know, the United Nations customary law of the sea. We have an understanding of how far uh, sea territory uh, boundaries exist or should exist. But the dispute in the South China Sea is because everyone's so close and jammed in together. And it doesn't really seem like some of the bigger players are being reasonable in how the negotiations, and when I say negotiations, sometimes it's just telling people, right? So yeah. um, I find it fascinating. Uh, Brendan Taylor is a, is a, is a pretty good um, Australian academic who, who's written a book that's got bits of this in the, uh, the, floor, the, the, the floor flash points, the four flash points is a really good book. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll get tech support to put that up in the, in the list as well. Uh, hey. That's probably it. That's uh, that's me done. So, um, Dave Duckett just popped sure. popped up in the chat. Oh, um, oh yeah, we're talking about boats. Blast from the past. We are going to talk about so much naval stuff in a minute, Dave. You are gonna you are gonna be in a very very comfortable place. I don't even remember um, what service he's in. He's been in them all. So he's been in all of them. That's right. Okay, so uh, so South China Sea. A um, lot of tension, a lot of contention, but the most, the, the thing that's iconic to me about the South China Sea is the island building. And, and we'll get into the island building, um, but just the concept of building an island. Like Dubai has built land masses, but that's off a desert and they're surrounded by sand. But what China is doing in the South China Sea with regards to building um, islands, uh, amazing, amazing, amazing. And we will talk about it, the tension that it has created and, uh, and everything around that in just a minute. But let's start from the start. And talk about okay, good. Let's talk about the South China Sea. So, what and where is the South China Sea? Uh, so, Wikipedia: South China Sea is the marginal sea that is part of the Pacific Ocean, encompassing an area from the Karimata and Malacca Straits to the Strait Malacca. of Taiwan. Malacca Straits. Uh, Malacca. What do you? How, how do you say it? Malacca. That's what I said. Um, of around three point five million square kilometers uh, another description this one from how's this for a blast from the past yeah, that would have been the guy who had to measure it though walk out oh my god yeah yeah here's this for a blast from the past britannica.com the britannica what, encyclopedia what's that, what's that? It's, a, it's, a, 
Oh, yeah. They're holding up heaps of coffee tables and stuff now. <laughs> From them, South China Sea uh, in Chinese, known as the Nanhuai, arm of the West, uh, Western Pacific Ocean that borders the Southeast Asian mainland. It is bounded to the Northeast by the Taiwan Strait, uh, to the East by Taiwan and the Philippines, uh, to the Southeast and South by Borneo, the Southern limit of the Gulf of Thailand, the East Coast, the Malay Peninsula, and to the Western North by the Asian mainland. As Mick said, this is a contested area. The you South China Sea, say again. You should check that stuff on Wikipedia. The South China Sea and the East uh, China Sea together form the China Sea, um, the southern boundary between Sumatra and Borneo. It's big. It's big. Okay, so how big is it? As yeah. we said before, three and a half million square kilometers. Now, just to contextualize that, Australia is seven and a half million square kilometers. So about half the size of Australia, if you will, is this contested area. Now, just take that into, into context with regards to, that's a big area of landmass. Um, if you could picture that in your head, that is now over the sea. And then Mick described before that that is heavily, heavily congested with shipping, with navies, with small islands, uh, reefs, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a very large complex area. Uh, how large does it represent? Well, if it's three and a half million square kilometers, if the Pacific Ocean is 155.5 million square kilometers. So when we talk about the Pacific, it, it, it's huge. Mm. So this is actually quite a small part of the Pacific. Um, but if you want to just contextualize it with a land mass, you can really think of India. So if you just think of India, India is 3.29 million square kilometers, which has really helped me frame the size of this problem. It's bigger, if, it's bigger than India. So it's bigger than India. So if there was a land mass, right? That if there was India, and let's just say that the vast majority of the world's trade goes directly through India, every person would be greatly concerned about what is happening in that place, right? So mm -hmm. what we have now is it's sea. So the vast majority of the world's trade goes through this one South China Sea, which is the same size. A lot of people are worried about it, but I think some people underestimate how significant the size of it is and how significant the strategic importance of something like the South China Sea is. So that's the South China Sea. Those are all the countries that border it. And as you said, it's contested, physically contested. Uh, and as we'll go through now, strategically contested as well. So, um, What's so important about the South China Sea? Well, the vast majority of what you'll find is going to be around trade and economics and how the world, you know, rotates with regards to globalization and trade. All right. So according to uh, CSIS, the Center of Strategic and International Studies, uh, one of the top, top uh, think tanks in America, um, the United Nations Conference and Trade Development estimates that roughly 80% of global trade by volume and then 70% by value is transported by sea. Mm. Of that volume, 60% of the maritime trade passes through Asia. So in essence, the South China Sea carries an estimated one third of global shipping. That, that just blew my mind. So it is such a small part of the Pacific Ocean. 155 is Pacific Ocean. This is uh, three and a half, right? Uh, 3.5. And it takes one third of the global shipping. It's, it just blew my mind. When yeah, I mean, you know, South China Sea, you're doing good, buddy. Like, don't ever let anyone <laughs> You know what? You know yeah. what? People talk a lot of shit about the South China Sea. No, they're, no doing, one, they're doing their part. No, one, no <laughs> one's sitting there just going, what's the South China Sea done for me lately? No one is ordering <laughs> off Amazon going, what is the South China Sea? You know why you've That's got right. an iPhone? Because of the South China Sea. 
That's right. Um, so the, the waters are particularly critical for China, Taiwan, Japan, South Korea, all of which rely on the Straits of Malacca, or Malacca, which connects the South China Sea and by extension, the Pacific Ocean with the India Ocean. The Straits of Malacca and the South China Sea are incredibly important to China for trade. Um, so as we said, incredibly, incredibly important. Now the Straits of Malacca, um, have you heard of the Straits of Malacca before? I assume you have. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've heard of them. I, I hadn't really read too much about it, so I had a look into it. What's that? Sorry, we uh, when we were at uni, or maybe I don't know if you were in the part that covered this, but we covered it in uh, naval choke points. Yeah, right. So absolutely a naval choke point. Uh, yeah. A lot of you articles. Gotta go around it, but geez, yeah, like, what so a trip. <laughs> there's a lot of articles around it. Uh, a lot of articles call it China's Malacca dilemma. Um, and articles dating, you know, uh, a decade or so ago that this is, this is a problem that China faces because it is their, literally their choke point of which they rely on the vast majority of their resources. Um, so an article here from isdp.eu called Alleviating uh, China's Malacca Dilemma. Um, Beijing is seeking alternate routes to reduce its dependence on the waterway to ensure a more viable long-term energy security policy. In 2003, the then president, Hu Junto, identified the need to mitigate what he termed China's Malacca dilemma. Now, they've got a whole bunch of alternate ways that they're trying to get around the Straits of Malacca under yep. the BRI, Belt and Road Initiative, which is something they've been working on for a few years now. They've got Trans-Myanmar oil and gas line pipes. They've got a uh, port in Burmese water. Um, there's the Pakistan-China economic corridor that they're trying to develop. Um, there's a couple of land bridges that they're doing to, to build oil pipelines. So there's a lot that they're trying to do to bridge the gap. But according to this author, uh, B.A. Hamza, who's a lecturer at the Department of Strategic Studies and National Defense University in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, mm -hmm. the Straits of Malacca are going to be important for the rest of the existence because <laughs> there's just there's so much, right? They might, they might take some nuclear of and machines kill us. But, uh... that's, that's right. But the, there's so much going through there. It's, it's inevitable. The China's Malacca dilemma is going to be there for a long time. So, you know, what we're establishing is that not only is this... Uh, straight South China Sea and, and especially this straight important to China, uh, sorry, to the world. Uh, it, it's actually, it is important to China for their survival. And this will, this will become apparent as we get towards the end of this show and we start talking about to what end, to what end are we doing freedom navigation operations? To what end is everyone so angry at China for what they're doing in the straits? And just, uh, um, just checking with, An checking in with Andrew uh, Carr, who's, He's uh, going ap apoplectic on uh, on uh, YouTube. I think he might have even had someone. Oh, it's not a choke point. Here we go. Uh, this is not a choke point because uh, Andrew Andrew might have actually convened the course that we did where they told us it wasn't a choke point. So there are actually only, I think there's only two actual choke points uh, in the globe, the Straits of Hamuls being one. Um, but the, what we're saying is that uh, it's a choke point within its region. Like you can go around it, got it, but it forces a lot of major economical decisions. So... Sure, it's not technically a choke point because you can go around it, but it's our show, Andrew, so we're going to call it a choke point. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so I, I, I didn't agree, disagree with Andrew Carr. I was going to get that on the record. And there's another part of the... Uh, <laughs> there's another part um, of the Malacca dilemma as well. Uh, which You're a Malacca. 
which we won't focus on too much. Um, but that is, of course, China and China control and the contest that China is currently having in the South China Sea to the east of the Malacca Straits uh, is something that's talked about a lot. But what is sometimes not talked about is what is to the west of the Malacca Straits. And that is, of course, the Indian Ocean. Oh, yeah. um, and there's another article uh, that I stumbled across, which is from EurasianTimes.com entitled India Can No Longer... Asian Times? Or your Asian uh, times. Your Asian times. And this is called India can no longer choke China in the Straits of Malacca as Beijing finds solution. All the opposite of what BA Hamza says in the article that we read before. Uh, it's all about how China is finding alternatives uh, to using the Malacca Strait. Uh, India, India's natural position in the Indian Ocean with basing capabilities in Andaman and Nicobar Islands uh, at the mouth of the Strait would allow its Navy to cut it off in the event of a crisis or war with China. Keeping in mind the recent flare-up between India and China, um, uh, uh, if India wanted to block trade with China, all it has to do is park ships at the mouth of the Malacca Strait. So there's also that aspect of it as well. And this is just a fascinating conversation about geography. And, you know, I remember when we were doing universities and we, and we started talking about geopolitics and geography, um, everyone sort of moaned and groaned and was just absolutely bored by the concept because it's not really the sexy part of war, warfare, why people go to war, the politics of it, you know, the backstabbing. Oh, it's not, it's not the starters. It's not the cybers, no, it's not machine learning, it's not the robots. No, but the South China Sea is <laughs> just such a great, it's such a great, great thing to talk about because you have a piece of geography. Now let's talk about the Malacca Straits, right? So it's 850 kilometer straight. Um, I had an article here uh, that says, which is, this is from defenseconnect.com.au. Um, and it says that approximately 100,000 vessels pass through this strait annually, which is not, you know, nothing to sort of sneer at. That's a lot, a lot of stuff. At this narrowest point, it's 2.7 kilometers wide. Um, it is a very congested area. It's got piracy, control issues, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's a great example of this one piece of geography that's so vitally important to the world due to the trade um, that's, that, that it has uh, going on through there. Mm -hmm. um, and in and amongst it, there's two countries and then the wider part of it, the South China Sea, there's just so many countries that are contesting over this one area. So it's a, it's a fascinating sort of insight into geography. And that's why I think um, South China Sea is super important. So what have we established? It's super choky too. So we've established that the South China Sea um, is important for trade and for the world economy. All right. So whoever controls the South China Sea arguably has the ability to control the world economy. Now, that doesn't really make sense because right now it's contested. The world economy is going fine. But what, <laughs> what if? Well, well let's, let's, let's clarify fine. Um, we're not talking about the world economy being affected by COVID here. So like we understand the economy is in the toilet, but it's not because of the South China Sea. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Relatively fine, okay? Relatively yeah, I mean, it, it, it's going perfectly fine. As long as your yeah. country is willing to accept over 100,000 deaths, you'll be fine. But what happens in a escalated situation, in a conflict on a global scale, where suddenly a country A decides that they no longer want other countries to control or to have... 
uh, a globalized economy to get resources from other nations. Um, this is something that could happen, and you know, and you just have to look at a, a very quick glance at World War One and World War Two, and have a look at how controlling of shipping was essentially a, a great part of how uh, we would go on to win uh, those wars as well. So this is not a situation that hasn't occurred in recent history, um, and that's something that sort of is is, is sort of over the top of the whole Malacca Straits and the South China Sea. Now, for Australia, it's doubly important because it is our lifeline to the world, if you will, of how we get all of our stuff and how I get all my stuff from Amazon. I get really, really, really upset. So what else is there? Um, there's also an abundance of resources. So there's reports that uh, untapped fishing, untapped oil, a whole bunch of resources. So we're looking at not only control for the sake of the economy, we're looking at resources that uh, are currently contested or who owns those resources at the moment also plays into it as well. There's also the control of it because of the influence that you have over the countries that share a coastline with this same seabed as well. Um, and this now suddenly starts to affect many, many, many countries in the Southeast Asia region um, and in many ways you know we start seeing that there's a bit of power play happening here the countries that are aligned with the usa are getting the support china is unhappy with it so again we are back to our hegemonic battle over over this piece of territory yeah. the same battle that we've seen over many many other territories that we've spoken about during this podcast so look uh, a very interesting case study to go into that's the kind of background of where is the south china sea why it's important uh, before we get into some of the politics into it. Mick, how say you? Uh, I'm talking to people on the internet. Yeah, yeah. I can see. I can see because you don't look in the camera. You like look everywhere. All right, fine. Oh, okay, I'll fix that. <laughs> <laughs> now that everyone's lost their dinner. Um, look, I think, you know, and you talked about it before when you said, you know, geography is not the um, sexy part of studying war and uh, politics, but it's probably one of the most consistent parts um, of how geography affects uh, defense planning, military posturing, politics. Um, so a- as we go on, uh, listeners, I've actually, I-, I typed a-, a smart comment in there responding to Dave saying that he no longer does uh, control shipping lanes, um, which is my way of saying he, he used to be in the Navy. But um, land-based maritime strike, when you think of land-based maritime strike capabilities, uh, in the old terms, this used to be called coastal artillery, but now the ranges on land-based maritime strike are exceptionally uh, large compared to that, um, hundreds of kilometres. So if you can put land-based maritime strike on something like the Straits of Malacca, you don't need uh, maritime-based assets to have a significant political uh, effect and a military effect. So as we're going through this, um, yeah, understand how geography really limits options for people. Um, this is geography controlling economic yeah. uh, outputs um so geography is often seen as boring uh generally people in the army kind of like geography because we spend so much time reading maps and stuff oh sorry charts yeah. um charts for those navy people, um, for navy people yep. i think it's really interesting to understand that and those people who are following the australia's latest um defense strategic update they should really listen to my interview with andrew carr actually um and him talking about australian defense policy and how there's always been a tension between history and geography and how geography is yeah. all things seem to have won out um, because Australia's defence policy is very much looking at how it can use um, its geography for its for its benefit. So I think that's one of the most important things you said. I didn't really listen to the rest of it. Uh, good, good. That was good. good. 
situation is no change. All right. So we're going to talk about the history of the South China Sea. And this is the context that gets us to where we are today. And this was this has been a very, very interesting part um, of putting these show notes together. Uh, before we do, let's talk about um, our good sponsors at Extra Specialist Group. Now, if you haven't heard of the Extra Specialist Group before, they are awesome. Since 2017, the Extra Specialists, uh, these guys have been connecting Australian veterans to the entertainment industry through their consult consultancy work, their agency work, productions and training. Extra specialists have been changing the face of television and movies and putting those who have served onto the big screen and into your homes. They're not just a small little backyard company. They have worked with the big names, Marvel, Touchstone, Netflix, Stan, and many, many more. Idiots. Yeah, more fit. it's the big one. Uh, extra specialist is the place to go if you want to get into the industry. So if you have extra specialist skills, veteran or anything else, or you want to learn some, doesn't have to be a veteran. You can just be any regular Joe or Jane and want to just get into it. Reach out to extra specialist group and get started now. Check out their website at www.extraspecialists.com. And if you don't follow them on Facebook, I would recommend it. They put up some pretty cool videos or some pretty cool training that they do. Pistol shooting, high ropes training, action fight sequences. Um, and, you know, as we said in uh, one of the film reviews that we did about Danger Close, uh, yep. seeing the guys and girls uh, who supported uh, us when, uh, when we are serving, uh, being into these movies, uh, it's fascinating. It's awesome. And I just love the work that these guys do with our veterans. They do also take people who have other names uh, than Joe and Jane. Um, but that's just an illustrative example. That doesn't say that on their website. Okay. So <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about the South China Sea. Let's talk about tension. Let's talk about the history. Now, I want to see Dave Duckett in a film. This uh, That'd be awesome. Doing some Krav Maga. Doing some okay. Krav Maga. So I don't want to... Uh, surprise you too much but the South China Sea has been there for a very long time two years right? no, no, no no like really long minimum I said minimum <laughs> that's true technically um, okay so but we're not going to go into the deep 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 history <laughs> of it because I do not want to go into how this, this podcast, podcast, this podcast is, it all started with with molecules no no so this uh, so we're going to start it, deeper idiots <laughs> We're going to start it from around World War II, okay? Well, the, the vast majority of what we're talking about is based around the two chains of islands, the Spratly and the Paracel Islands, okay? Mm. Um, now, in 1927, Japan makes its earliest documented claim over the Paracel and Spratly Islands. Why is Japan making a claim for them? You've you got to rewind your knowledge about what Japan is going through at this point in time, uh, but they make their claim in 1927. Now, in 1928, the Republic of China states that the Paracel Islands are the southernmost limits of its territory. So immediately... Yeah, it's like, no, no, we claimed them last year, dude. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> Japan's like, we've officially done it. And China's like, cool, so have we, right? Don't um, make us invade you. Then in 1931, <laughs> France claims the Paracel Islands, right? And oh. just there, in, in a four-year little snapshot, WFI, WTF, you know what I mean? It's, I mean, well, this... Parasol Islands are extremely close to Europe. <laughs> yes, they are. They are. They're arguably in them. It's um, probably so conflict- quicker to go through the earth to get to France from the Parasol Islands <laughs> than to go right over the ocean. Uh, Come on, hundreds frog. of islands, complex terrain, lots of reefs, but strategically important nonetheless. Okay, and, fast and forward. Big part of France. A big part of France. 
Fast forward to 1939, Japan invades the island and takes control of the South China Sea. As we know, mm. when did World War II start? Well, it depends who you ask. In this instance, we have Japan uh, invading and taking the islands in 1939. Done. So Japan occupies them for that period of time. End of World War II, we fast forward to 1945. The Republic of China government accepts the surrender of the Japanese garrisons in Taiwan. And this also includes the Paracel and Spratly Islands. And then Nanjing then declares both these archipelagos are part of the Guangdong province. So they're officially claimed by China, having accepted the surrender of Japan, part of the Guangdong uh, province. What is France uh, always? Right. And so this is interesting. Uh, so the Republic of China drew up the Southern China Sea Island location map, marking the national boundaries in the sea with 11 lines, showing the U-shaped claim of the entire South China Sea and showing the Spratly and Parcels in Chinese territory in 1947. Now, this is interesting, right? The Americans, we, we own this bit, okay? And of course, other countries are pissed, right? Yeah. But this, this article goes on. The Americans reminded the Philippines at its independence in 1946 that the Spratlys was not Philippine territory, both to not anger Chuang Kai-shek in China and because the Spratlys were not part of the Philippines per the 1898 treaty Spain signed with America. So, I mean... The, that's not your country because we. That's not, that's not, hey, Philippines, that's not your country because because uh, we didn't agree with Spain that that was your country. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Is there any wonder that there's so much? And this is this is in 1940, so we, we've got you know a lot of time to to cover from here on. But even then, there's so much tension and so much confusion about. Who owns it? Now, it gets more confusing, right? So if you want to add in more to the mix, you throw in the Vietnam War. So in 1954, the Geneva Accords settled the first Indochina War. French Indochina was split into three countries, Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam. Vietnam, of course, was divided across the 17th parallel. And in 1955, South Vietnam was established as part of the French Union. Okay, so there we have a, a divided Vietnam on the uh, Southeast, Asian, uh, Southeast Asian coast. Now, Vietnam is the longest isle, uh, sorry, island, is the longest country with the coastline that is the South China Sea. Now, with both the Spratlys and the Peristels being south of the 19th parallel, they fall within South Vietnam territory. And the French, again, bestow their rights and claims over both island chains to the Republic of Vietnam. So the French are back in the picture um, again and have claimed those islands. They never, like they never had it right. Like, so it's like, it's like me saying to your next door neighbor, um, Richie's car is now yours. And you're like, I claim your car and now I donate it to someone. And, and then in 1956 against this, I don't want to shock you, but the North Vietnamese communist government formally accept that the islands are in fact historically Chinese. That's surprise, like a neighbor coming surprise. out and going, no, 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 that car belongs to that guy. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy confusing. Okay. And then it gets more confusing. So we fast forward in time a little bit more and there's a lot of stuff that happens in between this, but just, just the wave tops. 1971. Yeah, oh, Elvis becomes big. That's 1971, the Philippines announced claims to islands adjacent to its territory. So islands that are within the Spratlys, um, but close to them. And then much fighting ensues. There's, there's a lot of... Love how you've written that in the, in the show notes. 
Much fighting, much fighting, much fighting ensues between the Philippines, China, China Vietnam. and oh. Vietnam. Um, and in 1978, the president of the Philippines asserts that what he's calling now the Kalayan Island oh, Group, yeah. comprising most of the Spratly Islands, are actually subject to Filipino sovereignty. Um, and then in 1979, Hanoi, now under a united Vietnam, in fact, claims sovereignty over <laughs> all the islands in the South China Sea. Hey, and Charlie, you know those islands we said were yours? <laughs> They're ours, no, bitch. They're now Vietnam. They're now Vietnam. Okay. So where 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 the tension and, and look, it goes through the eighties, it goes in through the nineties, lots more fighting. But what we see is that as these countries grow, so Vietnam grew through its civil war, through the Vietnam War into a united Vietnam, finding its own feet, will turn against China in this instance, and a lot of fighting will ensue over the next 20 years over the South China Sea. The Philippines has now its independence, it's growing on a world stage. It is also now putting its bid in for fighting over areas of the South China Sea and the Spratlys and the Parasols as well. We then have a Indonesia that's rising into power and then we'll also put it. So, so all these countries are growing. The tension is growing. The skirmishes, the near misses, the boat collisions, the fishermen's fighting is growing and growing and growing. And as countries find their feet on the global scale, so too do they find their claim over parts of the South China Sea. So it's, it's, it's a, bananas, a, man. It's bananas. It's absolutely, it's absolutely bananas. Now, that was just a quick, I don't know how long that went for, nine minutes sort of a highlight of some of the history that, that we got through of the background of the South China Sea. But is there any surprise of the, the confusion when this is where it's grown? And it just it reminds me so much of how Europe was divided just over this, these lines that were just drawn. Afghanistan, the Middle East. The Middle East, other people coming in and going, uh, this is where the border should be. And somebody's just like, that's right through the center of my house. Exactly. You know, it's just like, exactly. And, you know, it's probably not going to take, it's like, you know, the Pashtun region of Afghanistan, Pakistan. Like, yeah, let's just, just go right between the tribal areas. Um, and, and, you know, and, and, you know, as, as you said before, you talked about the importance of geography, you know, as important as geography is the, it, it's, it's as important to remember the craziness that humans apply over geography. Just yeah, these human things. and cultural geography. It's a thing. Yeah. It's crazy. Just, and, 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 and I, then I, saying, I, let's I, put all our trade through that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now through that shit fight, everything goes through. Like that is crazy. Man. That so, is crazy. Right. Now that we're all in disagreement, let's just push all of our most valuable <laughs> trade through that area. Yeah, so a bit of confusion and, and we'll continue to highlight some of them now where, where the lines have sort of fallen. Um, but what has been happening recently has been China's uh, island building, uh, for lack of a better term. I don't know if they're I calling it that. Uh, it's called, uh, they, I think it's a land reclamation. Okay, land reclamation, right? And yeah. I wanted to quickly touch on that because I, I thought- Basically it means I, building islands, right? I find it fascinating. I find it absolutely fascinating. Now, if you go to a website, you, you'll post the, the link up for this. So it's, oh, you just did, The Diplomat. Um, so they've done some studies uh, and tried to put some data on some of the islands or land masses that have been built uh, using satellite imagery and measuring the satellite imagery over periods of time, different years and whatnot. And it's, it's amazing. It's just an amazing thing to look at for just a, a feat of human endeavor to build what they're building out there in the South China Sea. So it was reported in 2015 that China has begun to pump sand onto pre-existing reefs, okay? Yep. And as I said, satellite imagery is great. And I'll give you one example that they show. It's called the Fiery Cross Reef. 
Now they show a picture of the fiery cross reef in 2009. It just looks like a blank piece of ocean. You can't see anything. Um, they use this term of urbanization is the word they use in this measurement. And they give it 0.01 square kilometers of urbanization. So nothing, there's nothing there, right? It's, it's tiny, it's tiny, it's tiny. Then fast forward to April, 2015, they show a satellite imagery of what's been built. Crazy. From 0. Point, from 0. 0.01 to 0. 0.13 square kilometers of urbanization. It's incredible to see the imagery. Fast forward two years, September 2017, you have almost one square kilometer of urbanization. You have buildings, roads, airfields, ports, um, almost a square kilometer. And then um, you check out this, this stuff. It's, it's fascinating. And then they show another one in the Johnson uh, South Reef. <laughs> That, that is the same story as well. Now, according to the US-China Economic and Security Review Commission, China has built, and this blew me away, 3,000 acres of island territory within the Spratleys across seven different reefs, 3,000 acres. Now, I don't know how accurate that is, but if it's even close to accurate, that just blows me away because that is just an amazing feat. You know what I mean? I think that's just yeah. a, 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 now terrible for the environment likely terrible to change the sort of ecosystem that is out there in the Spratleys around the reefs and all that sorts of stuff. But just to be able to do that is pretty incredible. Um, and as you talked about before, what are the second and third order military and strategic uh, sort of ramifications of that? It's pretty significant. It's pretty significant um, yeah. of that island building. Are you interested in this island building or ran, uh, land reclamation that you have called it? Yeah, man, I have to be because you put it in the show notes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, mate, I think it's I think it's 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 hard right because uh like I don't agree with them doing it um as a unilateral action. Um I don't necessarily agree with it environmentally, but um I'd have to look into more of the environmental implications, but I'm sure there are there are some. Who knows? China China's actually uh not um not un uh, aware of climate change and they're making a lot of measures too um, on renewable energy and sustainability that lots of other countries aren't. But what a remarkable piece of engineering. Yes. Uh, yes. And it, it kind of talks about, you know, and, and I talk about this a bit um, on, uh, on that other show I do that's far more popular than this one, um, that um, just imagine if we applied like some of this sort of engineering power for good. For the for the, the purposes mm. of the best of humanity, right? Because mm. you know, the the basics is the these land this land is being reclaimed as a power grab. Mm. Um, but we have other nations that are going to sink below the, the seas because of climate change. What sort of engineering can we do to support those countries? Because there's experts yeah. in China at building islands, like yeah. you know. Some of us play computer games to be able to build islands. Like, yeah. This is yeah. world building stuff. Um, but it is, it is um, when you jump, jump on and have a look at some of the, um, some of the islands that have been created, uh, ladies and gents. Um, now you'll see why a lot of naval and air force people simply consider the land aircraft carriers. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because some of the islands look like a, like a stationary aircraft carrier. They're just airfields. Um, yeah. And when you think about that in terms of permanent force projection, yeah, you have infantry. They they seize and hold ground. You can you can you can you know force project with air. You can force project with maritime. How's China doing it? They're force projecting with land, not yeah, land yeah, forces. Um, actual land. Beat beat that. Beat yeah, that. Yeah, 
yeah. insane. Um, fascinating stuff. Um, and it is fascinating. While, you, while you're talking, I was just flicking through the uh, pictures. I actually was listening this time. It's but, pretty uh, crazy. It's pretty crazy. The imagery is shocking, isn't it? So insane. He's like, oh, that's, there's nothing there. Oh, it's a city. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's crazy. It's crazy. All right. So where, where does it lie, lay now? So after this history that we talked about, after this island building, what are the current borders within the South China Sea? Well, like you asked, because there's not many of them to go through. So the main one, and probably the best picture I've seen of this, uh, the source is from, again, from the CSIS. Um, people have put together this, but there's heaps out there, South China Sea borders. Um, and the main areas of dispute, if you will, when you look at the South China Sea, um, is the borders that Vietnam claim and the border that China claims, because it's almost like if I was to say, Hey Mick, uh, okay. On this table, draw where you think the border is. And I draw my border. You would be so shocked from your perspective, how wrong I got the border. And when you draw it, I would be so shocked how wrong you got it. Like the overlap isn't just a slight, it's not a slight overlap. It is a huge overlap. It's an overlap. I wouldn't get it wrong. Yeah. Okay. I'm not Donald Trump drawing a hurricane path. So the, the, the overlap between the border of Vietnam, where they claim their uh, sovereign parts of the South China Sea and, and what China claims, are just unbelievable that this is, un, you know, that, that there's this much confusion over who owns it, okay? Now, that's just, that's just two countries, right, that have this disputed uh, borders. Now, there's a third country that lays their borders over the top of that, and that's, of course, the Philippines, who lay their, their claim of where they say their borders are, which include all of the Spratly Islands and also the Scarborough Shoal, which is something we haven't spoken about uh, much, but it's also a part of it as well. So there's parts of the South China Sea that have three country borders overlaying them. Now, of course, we have a fourth one uh, that comes from the South. That's from Malaysia. So some of the Southern islands uh, that are part of Malaysia, sorry, not part of Malaysia, part of the Spratlys. Malaysia has claimed some of those islands as well. So some of those islands have four borders over the top of them, Vietnam, China, the Philippines, and now Malaysia who are contesting for it. And there's aspects of the Spratlys. Now, I don't think there's any islands, but there's actual parts of the ocean that has a fifth boundary over it, and that is the boundary of Brunei. And so that's an amazing boundary there. because theirs is, theirs is like a perfect rectangle. There's this tiny yeah, yeah, yeah. like Oh, what do we miss? And, that, they're just and like, there's just like, no, ours is a footy field. We just want this footy field. Like, we're not greedy. Um, yeah, they got a lot it's, of money. It's crazy. And, and so, so there's parts of the South China Sea that five countries at this point in time in Southeast Asia cannot agree who owns it. And then you have arguably a sixth layer that comes over the top, which is Taiwan, who says, oh, actually, all the Spratleys are our territory. So um, that, that's a bit of confusion that you guys have. Yeah, because we're China, remember? <laughs> So it is, it is a really uh, interesting uh, piece of terrain. It is a very important piece of terrain. And when you just see who thinks they own what, you, it, it, you, the eyes, my eyes are suddenly wide open to no wonder there's so much confusion. No wonder there's so much tension. No wonder there's so much action uh, happening there at the moment in and amongst COVID, in and amongst everything that's happening around the world. I've got a really, cool, a really cool tangent, right? Um, a really cool tangent. Um, there's another island uh, far to the north, um, near uh, near North America and uh, near um, Denmark, uh, called Han Island. And uh, I'll put the link in there. But just to show how this could be disputed differently, um, they both claim ownership of this rocky outcrop that doesn't really do much. Mm. What they do is they wait until the other person's, the other country's gone. They then send an expedition 
who then goes and takes down like the, the Danish or the Canadian flag and then puts their national uh, alcohol, um, schnapps or a type of whiskey next to the flag and then runs their own flag up and then they all just run away. And then the next people, next time they, they go past the island, they're just like, wait a minute. Oh, you they're, little they're flags up. buggers. And so they, they take their bottle and their flag and run their own up. It's insane, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How can we just can't have that in the Chinese? Like everyone just, because you know what? Everyone just needs to get really drunk and sort this out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's the border dispute. And, and this one is fairly clear. And, and everyone can kind of see why there's so much disputes of this border, right? Because it's a super important piece of territory. You know, we talked about the border dispute between China and India and the border clash that they had mm. um, with Tibet and the Dalai Lama and all that sort of stuff in a previous episode. Um, and that one, we were really like, to what end, to what end are you guys fighting over this piece of terrain? You know what I mean? And fear, honor, interest, et cetera, et cetera. Are they going to go to war over it? Maybe who knows? Um, Not much like the economic. But there was nothing else but pride that sat on that border. There's so much more that sits on this border. This one is a clear border dispute for clear, um, reasons that don't affect the countries that are claiming the borders. They affect the world and they affect which countries are backing those countries. And that is why the tension is there. Uh, the tension is there to stay until, you know, we get a global community, which, uh, which is just around the corner, you know, cause we're, we're, we yeah, all man, work so well together. Too. Um, <laughs> hey, who knows? Pandemic might sort everyone out. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's going so well. Okay. Really so, um, in the U S so, so uh, where are we at now with the South China Sea? Well, it's still there. Canberra. Um, if uh, an article uh, from theconversation.com uh, explain why is the South China Sea such a hotly contested region, uh, they highlight the historic decision in 2016, an international tribunal in The Hague ruled against part of China's claim to the sea in a case brought by the Philippines. So The Hague said, hey, China, you do not own those parts of the Spratleys. You need to back down. And of course, China. China went, no. We're China just went, our own. Uh, thanks, Haig. Um, we reject your authority of the tribunal and we reject the findings of this case. Oops. Another article from 2016 from The Guardian uh, states the Chinese president, Xi Jinping, said China's territorial sovereignty and marine rights in the seas would not be affected by the ruling, which declared large area of the sea to be neutral international waters or the exclusive economic zones of other countries. He insisted China was still committed to resolving disputes with its neighbors. And here's the thing, you know, on a global scale, who is going to tell the superpower that they're not allowed to do something? Well, it's the Hague. It's, right? it's the Hague. And what's the superpower going to say when the Hague says you can't do that? That, that, that okay uh, okay uh, cool yeah sure okay thanks okay. Right. thanks uh <laughs> we're gonna go back good. to build this uh, island now so we'll uh, you go before i punch you in the face <laughs> 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 exactly so it's you know people yeah it's 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 you know we, we could do a whole episode i think on on these international committees um how do you put something on top of superpower i've been reading a lot about um hegemony and about uh realism uh, at the moment versus liberalism um mm-hmm. and they, they talk about you know who sits on top of the top unless you have something sitting on the top of the top, then it's a more, you know, your liberalism isn't a real thing. Anyway, it's, it's, it's a, it's yeah, a whole it's thing, which is liberalism would be nice and realism is what happens. Exactly. Exactly. So, and I think this is a, bit, a, a real case of realism uh, right in the front. So, so what is the world doing 
And look, I don't want this to come across that China is doing something bad. China is doing what they're doing. And I think we've made the case that China has huge strategic reasons to be doing what they're doing, whether it's right or wrong. Yep. That's up to listeners. And personally, to we don't have a claim on the South China Sea. Not yet. Because of COVID, obviously. We've actually got, we've got, we've got some Sharpies, which is like a map of thing. <laughs> And, yeah. a map. and after this episode, we're going to go to the map and Richard and I are going to work out. Yeah, we're, going to, we're going to draw, yeah, yeah, those parts of the Spratleys. We're going to call it the six-dash line. <laughs> um, but what is, what is happening there now? So the way that it seems that the tension continues to be played out in the South China Sea is everyone is deeply, deeply reading, and this is going to get Dave Ducker very excited, the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea, known as the UNCLOS, right? Mm. They're reading the UNCLOS, making sure that they understand every aspect of the UNCLOS, and then doing things to ensure that uh, other countries are not abiding by the UNCLOS or using the fine rules of the UNCLOS to show that they're right and other countries are wrong. Yeah. Um, so... How are they doing it? And this stuff I found super, super fascinating, right? And uh, this is from, uh, yeah, you put it up there, the Belfaster Center. Really, really great guide. Breaks it down, you know, perfect for idiots like us. Uh, what is UNCLOS? What is freedom of navigation uh, operations? Everything that you need to know. And, and all those US people who are going to be really like, you know, they should stick to UNCLOS. You're not, US is not signatories of it. And, and I know there's a nice yeah. little one here saying, you know, UN, UN foreign policy, strong support exists uh, for ratifying it. Um, and they adhere to many of its provisions. But, you know, when it comes to these debates, you talked about the Hague, right, and recognising the authority in that. So, so China, I'm pretty sure, has ratified um, the uh, UNCLOS, but sometimes doesn't appear to behave in the way that UNCLOS dictates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The US is trying to hold a lot of people account to UNCLOS, but hasn't ratified it. Yeah. Because yeah, they yeah. don't need to because of who they are, right? Like if you're the big boy, eh. Well, who's going to tell them they, to, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, um, so yeah, let's talk about so that. I, 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 really wanna, I really want to... Sorry? UNCLOS. 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 Are we just... That's a really cool acronym. (laughs) Okay. So the first part of the UNCLOS is that there are maritime features. Now, what I've learned is that uh, a maritime feature is a part of the Earth's surface occurring in the ocean that is not covered by water. The UNCLOS defines three of these features. I thought Midway was a maritime feature. This will go, this, this is going somewhere. So the first one is an island. The second one is rocks and the third one is low tide elevations. All right. So there's three of them. So what is the distinct difference between these features? Uh, the, disti- distinct, uh, the distinction between maritime features is important because each of these three features generate different maritime zones. Now there's three basic maritime zones. There's territorial sea that's within 12 nautical miles. There's contiguous zone, which extends from the 12 nautical miles to a further 12 nautical miles. And then there's the exclusive economic zone, which is 200 nautical miles. Okay. So this is important context. Why? Because if you are an island, you generate a territorial sea, you generate a contiguous zone and you generate an exclusive economic zone. Sorry. I'm not an island. You said, you know, not not yet. Not yet. But if you keep on trying, man, if you keep on trying. Now, if you are a rock, all right, I'm a rock. If you, you, so the rock, okay, he generates a contiguous zone, 
but no exclusive economic zone. Radio. Oh, Dwayne Johnson has a contiguous zone. If you are a low tide elevation, you generate nothing unless you are within 12 nautical miles of land. All right. So this is important because within each of the territorial zone, the contiguous zone and exclusive economic zones have certain rules that things can happen. Okay. So you can't pass through someone's territorial zone unless you first uh, give them warning to do it. In the contiguous zone, you can't be doing military operations. You must be innocent passage through. There's a whole bunch of different things that you can and can't do. Um, Exclusive economic zones, you know, as, as the name suggests, where they get their resources from, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the question is, if you're an island, the rules are very clear. But what happens if you're an artificial island? So that, that is the contentious part. And what is happening is that countries like America being the main one is saying artificial islands are not islands. Uh, before you were an artificial island, you were not uh, a rock. <laughs> you were not an island. You were not the rock even. You were likely a low tide elevation or a reef at best. And as such, we do not have to give you verbal warning before we come sail through your zone, nor do we have to cease from military exercises, activities, show of force whilst we're within your 12 mile, uh, your 12 mile territorial sea, which we do not recognize. So they're using the laws of UNCLOS with a fine tooth comb and saying, these laws do not apply to you because you are not what these laws apply to. So we can do whatever we want. And we will. That's like a really smart game to play. They're literally chicken between ships and, and, and fake islands. To what, to what end? To what end are they doing this? I, I'm asking you that not rhetorically. What, what, what are they getting out of this? What, what is happening here? Maybe? I mean, a lot of this is, uh, this is about um, you know, the, the rules-based global order. Uh, and it's about signaling uh, to particular countries that if they want to uh, enter onto the, you know, the more dominant aspects of the rules-based global order, if they want to... Um, share in a lot of the power, um, then they need to behave the way that the rules say. And, and the rules say this, so therefore, this is how you need to behave. Now, the problem is that uh, it's a conversation happening to between um, two competing hegemons. And, and hegemons don't become hegemons because they follow the rules. Yeah. They become yeah. hegemons because they establish dominance quickly and then set the rules. So at the moment, it's, you know... Freedom of navigation operations or FONOPS, awesome term. Um, it's like UNCLOS, FONOPS, UNCLOS, awesome episode for just really, really cool onomatopoeic words. Um, although I don't think if you go UNCLOS, people automatically obey the law of the sea, although they might. Um, I'll stop drifting. So, hey, that's a, that's a naval term. Oh, that's, that's good. That's um, good. So, what we're seeing here is the, uh, the rules based global order and those adherence to it, uh, you know, nations like Australia. Because, you know, Australia's a pretty small nation when it comes to naval punching power, right? But we're still conducting freedom of navigation operations because it's our way of saying as a, as a middle power, we expect China, because uh, that's usually who these uh, freedom of navigation operations are targeting, but also other nations, we expect you to obey the rules-based global order and therefore we, as a smaller nation, are still able to conduct this activity without fear and it's not provocatory unfortunately like it sends a very clear message we're also trying to provoke you into being good and behaving 
but obviously you've got to assume that the aspirations of the person you're challenging or provoking, you've got to understand, you've got to assume their aspirations are to be seen as a good citizen mm. uh, globally and, and to, and that they're happy being given a place as opposed to what they would consider earning their place and where that place sits in the global order. So it's complex. Hey, and this is, this is what we're talking about geography, right? This is geography playing with hard line in national relations. Yeah. Look, you brought up some good points. Um, the, the point of the rules based global order is, is really important. Um, Cause in this instance, to, to put it in very simple terms, right? In 2016, The Hague says some of this stuff that you're doing is not legal in accordance with international law. They have established, in this instance, a rules-based uh, international order, okay? We look at the definition for that. It's described as a shared commitment by all countries to conduct their activities in accordance with agreed rules that evolve over time, such as international law, regional security arrangements, trade agreements, immigration protocols, and cultural arrangements. So, so the rules have been established, all right? And China has said, no, we, we don't agree with the findings. So we're going to continue what we're doing. Okay. So America is coming and doing their freedom of navigation operations and actions. And they're saying that we are upholding the rules-based international order. In this instance, very simple terms, what the Hague said in 2016. You are not an island. You do not have territory. We are sailing within that. We're not warning you. We're coming through. So you can, you can kind of see why they're doing it to kind of say, you won't, you know, hey, China, by us doing this, we are showing the world that you are not following the rules that everyone is agreeing that they're going to follow because within a world where there is, you know, a, a struggle for power, there is no agreed hegemon at the moment that, that, that sort of top of the podium is up for grabs. Yeah. Uh, there's no one there to, to lay the rules except for this international order. This is the vision of the version of from the Americans perspective. Now from the Chinese perspectives, they're like, America, why are you here? Like this is this is why are you here? Exactly. Right. This is our territory. We need this territory for our own economy. Yeah. What are you doing? So you look at the tension. I think Japan and America over the Pacific Island hegemonic uh, power um, in you know the the 30s and 40s. Um, yeah, happened around the late 30s and early 40s. Um, what, what was it? I think. Um, I think Pokemon. I'm, Humphrey Bogart, uh, a couple of good films. No, um, no, no, a Pokemon. I don't think so. No, no, no I think not that old. I mean, I mean, I don't um, know anything about him. I mean, Tamagotchi. Well, um, to actually, for listeners that don't have kids, Tamagotchi is really good practice. Um, the the idea that the US can be a Pacific uh, hegemon and a and a hegemon of the Asian side of the Pacific Island, uh, Pacific Oceans. Um, doesn't gel well generally with regional hegemons, regional Asian powers. Generally, it's just not something that's really, really nice um, in their view. And, and you look at how America entered the stage in that part of the world with Matthew, Commodore Matthew Perry literally sailing a gunship <laughs> into, into the harbour in Japan and saying, you will open up your country to trade or we're going to start yeah, shelling yeah. you. Um, so you can kind of understand where this cultural aversion to, to um, obeying American hegemonic power in Asia comes from. Yeah. So what's going to happen from here? Well, the freedom of navigation uh, activities are going to continue. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Just yes. say one up. Just say it. Just say it. 
Yes. So over the past year and a half, the United States has publicly conducted five freedom of navigation operations in the South China Sea. Um, the first three uh, operations, the United States conducted operations challenging the illegal requirement that ships provide notification or obtain permission before transiting through another state's territorial sea under innocent passage. In the fourth free navigation, the US challenged excessive straight baseline claims. This document has not yet been described. Straight baselines is outlined by UNCLOS. Um, and in the fifth and most recent one, the United States challenged the existence of an illegal territorial sea. So America is, is just continuing to push and push and push. Um, mm -hmm. And this has ramifications for Australia. So from abc.net.au, uh, only a couple of days ago, uh, entitled Australia Pressured to Participate in South China Sea Operation. Defence Minister Linda Reynolds and Foreign Minister Maurice Payne will be likely to discuss the regional flashpoint with US Secretary of State and US Defence Secretary uh, at the annual OSMIN talks in Washington. Now, the US mm. has been conducting an increasing number of FONOPs in the South China Sea and has made no secret that would like to see other nations, including Australia, do the same. This is a quote. Uh, we would always like to see more like-minded countries participate because then it builds the international consensus that puts pressure on the People's Republic of China to conform to that international consensus, said one senior US official. Successive Australian governments have directed naval vessels to sail through the South China Sea, but never within 12 nautical miles of land features claimed by Beijing. Um, but that could all change in a heartbeat. Hey, when we talk about uh, anonymous sources, I know we've only got one more episode left. Let's just give them a name like Steve or Kirk or something. So Done. So, so when it says anonymous sources, you just want me to say a name? Yeah, like Kirk or okay. Bob. Um, but the same yeah. one every time. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> Cool. Um, really? All right. So, <laughs> ladies and gents, uh, the news. <laughs> so that is the South China Sea. Um, I have personally thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed uh, reading up about the South China Sea, understanding sort of a little bit of what's happening there, and like everything, what has taken me by surprise. Uh, really, the history of it. Now, obviously, the South China Sea has been there for a long time. Joke that I tried before. I think it landed well. Um, but the the history of the tension, the history of the debate, and the countries, the countries that have claim historic claims there really blew me away. I was just like, you know, France, what? Why is that here? And then Vietnam thrown in the complexities there, World War II complexities, just the complexities of, of it all um, are fascinating and just opened my eyes to no wonder. No wonder there's so much confusion over what is happening in the Straits now. The second thing that I love learning about was how important the, the, the South China Sea is to the world economy. Now, it's no surprise that it's important to the world economy, but I wasn't aware of the scale that this fraction of the Pacific Ocean was important to the entirety of the world. And when you're talking about a third of all trade that goes through there, you know, we're talking about trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars, almost as much money as we make for doing this show. Um, almost. We could almost. Probably why don't we just buy the South China Sea with our... We could, and rent it. And rent it. Rent it out to people. We would save lives. And then the last thing that I, that I, I really enjoyed reading up about, it was all in that one um, article that you put up the link for from the Belfer Centre, um, was just what is UNCLOS? Uh, how does it define land features? Uh, what is territory? What is um, contiguous? And what is exclusive economic zones, which Dave Duckett uh, confirmed 
everything is within the 200 Thanks, meter. Everything is within the 200 nautical mile uh, economic zone. Um, it's 12 and then 12 all within the 200, uh, just to make sure everyone gets that. Um, that was fascinating to learn about. And then how they're using that law of the sea uh, to show the world and to show to China that they must uphold this rules place global international order. Um, so the South China Sea has been fascinating, fascinating to look at. And you know what? Even more fascinating at the end of this season, because this tension between China and America has really been a theme of pretty much every episode that we've done. Um, you know, we're up to episode 18 and it's been fascinating, but we haven't had huge, we talked about it a bit for China and, um, and India, but we haven't had much about a piece of territory that's being fought over. We talked about a lot of competition. We talked a lot about um, conflict, et cetera, et cetera. But this one here, this one has been fascinating because it's an old school piece of geography that there's a lot of claim, a lot of territory, a lot of fighting, a lot of history. Um, it could be the spark um, that sets this barn on fire, or um, is just one of many sparks that could be uh, could be lit at any time. Um, so that is my summary of the South China Sea. How say you, Mick Cook? Well, mate, look, it was interesting learning about it during the show. Um, so it's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, yeah um, good. The good. South China Sea has been fascinating, and yeah, I've, I've I've had guests on the other show. Um, it's far more popular than this one. Um, several times. Um, that have talked about this uh, either specifically or talked about it in reference to other, other elements. Um, and the South China Sea is something that people need to understand is, is, is it affects your life more than you know. Um, and it's not just a, a news bulletin on the, uh, on the evening news or on your Facebook news feed or your Twitter news feed. Um, it's very real and you probably want to understand a little bit about it um, because if it, if it goes, uh, if it goes south, uh, <laughs> sorry. Oh yeah. <laughs> Seems someone liked it. Um, if it goes, if it goes, if it goes pear shaped, then there's this draws in a major conflict amongst many nations. You know, there's not there's not going to be a limited conflict in terms of number of players, right? Because mm. a hundred thousand ships go through there annually. So yeah, break yeah. that down by 365 and you get a number. And that's yeah. how many ships are going through there daily. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, think, I, think it's a, you know, I think it's a great case study because it, you, you have the ability to choose. There's not two sides of this. There's many sides that you can choose on this. And because I, I did it with my wife, I, I sort of was talking to her about this this afternoon and she was picking a side, right? She's like, well, why would America do freedom navigation operations? What are they trying to do? Right. Or you could have the China side. Why would America come here? This is the other yeah. side of the globe. Why is it important for economy? You know, you, there's so many different camps that you can so see. The angles, over the sea. Yeah. So, so many 274 ships a day in yeah. terms of trading yeah. vessels. Yeah. And then you have several navies trying to play a very delicate balance of freedom of navigation operations, which you have to be very, very careful. You talked about the Australian um, direction there, right? So the Australian government has directed naval uh, operations but not within 12 nautical miles of uh, territory claimed by yeah. Beijing. So that's still pretty delicate weaving when yeah, you're weaving yeah. around, you know. Hundreds uh, of islands. Hundreds of islands, possibly 274 ships because you yeah. might be there at peak hour. I think peak hour is about three. three yeah, that's naval term, naval term, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's such a tricky situation, right? Um, well, people are saying... Uh, 
Oh, oh, that's excellent. We've got listeners and lecturers who are in the same class on the show. So, and someone's just outed themselves. Phil has just outed himself as using us as a reference. Look, when we were in, when we were going through these courses, people referenced our show and they got pats on the back. I know people this year have referenced our show and they got slammed. Do not reference us. We are not the people you want the advice from. (laughs) We are not the experts. We're like Wikipedia. Yeah. We, we will, we will, we'll give you the, the tip of the top of the tip of the wave top. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> you right. need to, you need to go deeper. People. No one's checking our homework. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of like the South Carolina Sea is so fascinating because it's so important. Um, people are probably tired of it appearing in the news, but it appears in the news because you know, 60% of the world's maritime trade goes through there, which is 60% of the world's trade pretty much. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if my percentages are correct there, but let's just say it is. It's good. Yeah. It's, it's 150% correct. All right. So, so there you go. The least um, correct I've ever been. <laughs> so there you have it. That's our take on the South China Sea. It's been fun. Um, great chat, as always. So many people on uh, YouTube joining us. Thank you all. Uh, the Andrew Cars, Phil Bizzardo, Josh Beck Marlowe, Josh Phelan, uh, Mick TDP Studios, Dave Duckett. Hey, fuck um, it. Duckett. And uh, all those peeps that join us and uh, on. conversation going. Oh on. yeah, old old Scarnan was on. Josh was on. Scarnan uh, was there as well. And um, Richie, Richie t- 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 was on as legend, well. Legend. Um, but if you have liked this episode, please, please share it uh, with your friends and family. My dear, dear mother listens to it. I get a call. I get a call every Saturday afternoon. She gives me a summary about what she likes, what she didn't like, um, and tells Mick to stop interrupting me. So, uh, Mick, I'll tell your son to take a breath so I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> Mick, why don't you tell us some social media stuff? Yeah, right. So there's, uh, there's in 2004, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you don't need the history of it, right? Um, no, no, no you're so, right. um Next week, I'm just going to plug all the all the stuff I've published on social media, not, not on social media, but studies. And that way, um, I'm just going to boost my numbers. Um, no. So, ladies and gents, we are on social media. Um, we are, well, I, I can be a prick on social media, but that's okay because that's what social media is for, right? Um, although I would like to point out that um, any of those trolls that are currently coming for the mill Twitter national security community and targeting females, um, I'm coming after you. So it's going to be fun. I'm going to, I'm going to start finding, uh, finding your LinkedIn pages and putting them out there. So it's great. So there's been a bit of trolling of the national security community here in Australia a bit. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to find them. So please, if you are a troll, follow us on Facebook at war for idiots, just type it in the search bar because I don't want to read out the web address, but it's just really, really easy. Facebook war for idiots, Google it. Um, like I've said to Josh before, if you, if you want to know something, just go to Google, they know everything. You can find our individual Twitter pages. Uh, you can follow Richie and have a really nice conversation at Richie underscore triple T. You can follow me and find out how the real world works at Mick underscore cook. And you can actually follow the show one, which is probably the best option. Richie's probably the second best option. I'm probably down near 10. Um, yep. But uh, follow war numeral four idiots so it's at war numeral four idiots follow it recommend us to everyone say good day to your mum because richie's mum doesn't like me can i give everyone an example of a, a mick cook interaction on social media some legend who listens to this show uh tweeted hey guys you know thanks for the good work that you're doing on the show could you please post your references um i can't I, i'm too lazy to write them down and i want to read them 
And Mick's reply was, let us help you build, build a bridge across that laziness by telling you to look it up yourself. <laughs> Something along the lines of that. Look, come on. Look, I, 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 the, the, he thought his problem was that we weren't providing the notes. But the problem is the guy's lazy. So I'm trying to help him. I'm trying to help him. Great. I'm a life coach, man. <laughs> um, yeah, and for all those people telling me to shave, I don't have to shave. Uh, I think yeah, it looks magnificent. Keep it then. Yeah. And we can't be the bald and the bearded. That's right. There you go, mum. All right. Well, ladies and gents, uh, we hope you've enjoyed this show. If you have, leave a review. If you've liked it, share the episode. Yeah. Um, if you've if you've disagreed with us, start a conversation. Yeah. Um, it's it's all about different aspects, different perspectives. We don't know leave everything. A positive review. Yeah, we know we don't know everything. I think we do. Everyone knows we know most things, but we don't know everything. Um, so, uh, so we certainly yeah, love the debates that the conversations um, generate, uh, and we purposely don't choose a side because we want to hear what you guys think about the topics we speak about. So, coming up next week, I choose, I choose a side that isn't riches. <laughs> I choose a side that's right. Coming up next week uh, will be our final episode. Make sure you don't miss it. Join us, and until next time, this is Rich, and this is Mick. And remember that we may be idiots, but so are you. War for Idiots is a TDP production. All opinions expressed by individuals on the podcast are those of the individual and not necessarily representative of any other organisation. The music used during War for Idiots is Fireworks by Jazar and is used under an attribution share alike 3.0 international licence.